Hello, it's good to have you with us. It is February 20th. My name is David McAdam, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide. It's my joy to be able to read the scriptures with you as we read portions from the Old Testament, the New Testament, the book of Psalms, and the book of Proverbs. In the Old Testament, we are in the book of Leviticus, which outlines the requirements of a holy God if there is to be fellowship with his created beings who have rebelled against him. God will meet with man only if there is a right relationship. And as we come to the New Testament, we will see how the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world with the sacrifice of himself. He enables us to meet with him on the grounds of righteousness. And today we will see how the fulfillment of these requirements bring about the manifestation of the glory of God. This glory prefigures the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So let's begin reading in Leviticus chapter 9. We're picking up in verse 7. We're reading from the English Standard Version today. Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him. And he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar, and they handed the burnt offering to him, piece by piece, and the head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs, and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering, and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people, and killed it, and offered it as a sin offering, like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering, and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar, besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail, and that which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breasts, and he burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord, and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Chapter 10 The Death of Nadab and Abihu Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and laid incense on it, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. 
and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said, Among those who are near me I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offerings, and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due, and your sons' due, from the Lord's food offerings, for so I am commanded. But the breast that is waved, and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due, and your sons' due, from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed, and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces, to wave for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you, as a due forever, as the Lord has commanded. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy, and has been given to you, that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary, as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, Today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. So let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. In Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24, Aaron's obedience to offer the sacrifices exactly as was prescribed by God through Moses is rewarded. What was promised earlier in Leviticus 9.6 came true, that the glory of the Lord may appear to all the people. All of this prefigures the glory of God being made known to us in the perfect obedience, perfect humanity, perfect submission, and perfect sacrifice of Christ. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. In Leviticus 6, verses 22 to 24, we read, Then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. The fire that fuels sacrifices and illuminates the tabernacle must be from the Lord and not kindled by man. Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. It is here that we learn the difference between God's fire and strange or unauthorized fire. The fire in the tabernacle was to come from above. It was God who would kindle the fire. It was of divine origin. We can see that the fire represents the work of the Holy Spirit. God was making it clear that He is holy and He is in charge of the tabernacle. He was the one who would be making and accepting sacrifices. He would be illuminating the holy place. He would be the Shekinah glory above the Ark of the Covenant in the holiest of all. The whole tabernacle was to speak of the glory of Christ. Nadab and Abihu, like Cain in Genesis chapter 4, came to offer God what they thought best instead of what God required. It was unauthorized fire, fire that they had kindled themselves. It was a fire of human manufacture. This is called strange fire and completely unacceptable to our God, who is an all-consuming fire. Nadab and Abihu had most everything in order according to the law. They were sons of Aaron, duly consecrated priests and thereby authorized. They put fire in the proper firepans and placed the prescribed incense on it. They made their offering before the Lord. But the fire in their firepans was not the fire that came from God. It was strange fire or unauthorized fire. This was such an offense to God's holiness that fire quickly came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Perhaps they thought that it made no difference where the fire came from. Fire was fire. However, fire was an indispensable symbol of the holiness of God and the empowering presence of the Spirit of God in the service of the tabernacle. Remember that the fire that God brought to the tabernacle in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24 was never to go out in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12. The sacrifices were to be made by the fire that God gave. We cannot pretend that our work for God is acceptable to God if it is in the energy of our own life, the works of our fleshly zeal, or the cleverness of our own minds. Our work for God must be in the life and power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Our service must be born out of the Spirit of God and in obedience to the Word of God. The fire on the altar was a symbol of holiness. Nadab and Abihu were overlaying it with an unholiness. Isn't it interesting that when the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, in the book of Acts chapter 2, it was not long before Ananias and Sapphira brought the strange fire of an insincere offering before the church. The Apostle Peter discerned that their offering was satanically inspired and that they were lying to God the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5 verse 3. Within hours of each other, Ananias and Sapphira fell down and breathed their last. Like Nadab and Abihu, they died before the Lord in the book of Acts chapter 5 verse 5 and verse 10. The young men rose up and carried them out and buried them. 
Similarly, in Leviticus we read, Moses also called to Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Aaron's uncle, Uzziel, and said to them, Come forward, carry your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary to the outside of the camp. How heartbreaking this must have been to all in the camp, especially to Aaron, who lost his two sons, and to Moses, who lost his nephews. God was making a point in the beginning of the worship life of his people, both in the tabernacle and in the early church, that he is holy. In the beginning of the worship life of the church in the wilderness, and in the beginning of the worship life in the church of the risen Lord, the fear of the Lord was being established. God's word is to be taken seriously. We must be careful not to use man-made counterfeit fire today. Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 24. This means that we worship as those who have been made alive to God through faith in Jesus Christ. We worship the Lord as those who have been converted, born of God through the Holy Spirit. But we also must worship Him in truth, according to the revelation of God's mind in His Word, the Scriptures. Beginning with Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8, the Lord gives instruction about how we treat our bodies, which now belong to the Lord and are to be instruments of His Spirit. Some commentators suggest that the placement of the following verse may hint that Nadab and Abihu were intoxicated when offering their strange fire. We do not know for sure, but notice what is mentioned first after the incident of God suddenly slaying Nadab and Abihu. In verse 8 of chapter 10, Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. The real intent of these laws regarding our treatment of our bodies is found in the next verse. And so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane and between the unclean and the clean. We are to honor God in all that we do. We have been bought with a price. We are not our own. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, may our lives speak of the fact that we are under new management, His management. The New Testament application in regard to these Levitical laws can be found in the Apostle Paul's words, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Our Old Testament reading today concludes with verses 12 through 20, where Moses, being diligent in following up on the obedience of Aaron and his surviving sons, to the revealed will of God in their duties as priests in offering the meal offering and the peace offerings. Aaron and his sons, devastated by the deaths of their family members, Nadab and Abihu, could not eat the meat of the sin offering in good conscience, although they were told not to mourn. Aaron tells Moses that he struggled with whether the Lord would have approved him eating his portion after making the sacrifice. Moses sympathizes with his brother's explanation knowing that he is not being irresponsible, but was sincere in his self-examination and desire to do what was right before God. This is an illustration that one's heart attitude is more important than the mechanics of ritual. Now for our New Testament reading in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, beginning with verse 26. The Parable of the Mustard Seed And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? 
it is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables he spoke the word to them, and they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. Jesus calms a storm. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Chapter 5 Jesus heals a man with a demon. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Jesus spoke many parables, but the following parable the one in Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 29, is only found in the Gospel of Mark. 
and he was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. It is a miracle that never grows old. You may have planted seeds year after year and know all there is to know about farming, but the growth of new life from a buried seed is still a wonder to behold and one which we are called to cooperate with. And so we continue to marvel in the miracle of salvation, how we are born again of the Holy Spirit by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Mark's account of Jesus being asleep in the midst of the storm is revealing. He is testing their faith. He is stirring them up to pray. But what do his disciples do? They panic. They accuse Jesus of not caring. They say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do we ever think that God does not care? Do we think that he has abandoned us to perish? Jesus stands up. He makes it clear who he is. First, he reveals his divine authority by rebuking the wind and the waves. He commands the sea to be still. Then, he rebukes his disciples, asking two good questions. Number one, why are you afraid? Number two, do you still have no faith? He implies that they had no faith before they met him. Has not their experience with Christ made a difference? It would do us well to ask the same questions. Do you not know who called you into the boat of your present circumstances? Do you not know who is in the boat with you? Do you not know that He is with you to demonstrate and minister perfect peace in the midst of the storm? Fear is believing that God is not able to bring you to the other side when He has called you to come with Him to the other side. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Fear is what happens when we believe that Jesus sleeps because He does not care. Instead of resting in His perfect knowledge as Lord of the storm, we panic. Faith is recognizing that Jesus is like no other. Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus not only demonstrates his authority over the natural world when he rebukes the wind and the waves, but when he gets to the other side, he demonstrates his authority over the supernatural world when he expels a legion of demons from a man who was bound in chains, destroying himself as he was tormented by forces of darkness dwelling among the tombs. What a picture of lost humanity. Jesus commanded the unclean spirits to enter the swine where they pursued their self-destructive course in the bodies of these animals. Satan is a thief. He had robbed this man of his home, the fellowship of his family and friends. He lost his sanity and decency as he ran among the tombs naked. He lived like a wild animal, hurting himself and frightening other people. This man was possessed by a legion of demons. A Roman legion had as many as 6,000 men, but the demons recognized Jesus' identity and authority. It is interesting that the demons did not know what Jesus would do. Satan is shrewd, but he does not know the mind of God. Jesus ordered the demons into the 2,000 pigs. It was a powerful exhibit of the number and nature of the spirits that were vexing the life of the demoniac. The invisible, unclean spirits were sent into the visible, physical, unclean animals and drove them to destruction. And now the people could behold the transformation of this new man. 
Jesus ordered him to stay in his hometown and bear witness to his deliverance. Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. In Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Now for today's reading from the book of Psalms. We're continuing in Psalm 37, verses 30 through 40. And reading today's portion from the book of Psalms will be our son, Ben McAdam. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them, because they take refuge in him. Thank you, Ben. We're reminded in this psalm not to take for granted the privileges of the great salvation by the Lord to those who put their trust in him. Not only do we have the blessing of our justification before God so that we can be declared righteous on the basis of Christ's redemptive work on our behalf, but we have the graces of his abiding spirit. Salvation involves the law of God becoming operative in our hearts. Through the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, we can demonstrate speech that is both wise and just in Psalm 37, verse 30. Our walk in this world can be one that is blessed and secure. In verse 31, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus summarizes what the psalmist writes in verses 34 to 35 with the words, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In Matthew 5, 5, the psalmist writes, Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. The present benefits of our salvation are ministered through the sanctifying work of the Word and the Holy Spirit. We discover that the Lord is a stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps and delivers us from the wicked and saves us because we take refuge in Him. And for today's reading from the book of Proverbs, we're in Proverbs chapter 10, verses 6 through 7. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Proverbs are designed for us to read between the lines. We have a contrast between a mouth that blesses and a mouth that curses. We see a mouth that blesses comes from a heart of righteousness, but a mouth that curses comes from a heart of violence. We also have a contrast in how a person's life is remembered. Ultimately, the name of the wicked will perish. It will rot, but the memory of the righteous will be blessed. We see this illustrated in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. You remember the rich man had his reputation and his wealth, 
but after he dies and is in torment, his name is not mentioned, whereas Lazarus, the beggar, his name endures. In Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, give us a reverential fear of the all-consuming fire of your holiness. Never let our hearts stray into igniting the false fire of fleshly initiatives. Keep us abiding in you. Thank you for delivering us from the evil one who is intent on our destruction. You are not only our rock and refuge, but you are our great deliverer. Lord, we need your provision to keep us from our slip-ups, both in our speech and in our walk. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and his sanctifying influences through your word. May we be faithful witnesses to the work of deliverance you have accomplished in our lives, both in our present localities and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today, and may the Lord bless you as you continue in his word. If you are praying with us for every country on the planet, today we're praying for Aruba, the Caribbean island just north of Venezuela. Also, we welcome you to visit our website, newlife.org. There you can download materials and also subscribe to a daily email transcript of our Bible tour with illustrations that might be helpful, particularly as we're in Exodus and Leviticus. We welcome your comments and questions at podcast at newlife.org. And you are welcome to visit our New Life Ministry Center in Concord, Massachusetts, New Life Fine Arts Ministry, where we encourage God-glorifying endeavors of artistic achievement, especially in our theater ministry, theater you can believe in, with the gospel at the core. And you are welcome to participate in the worship services at New Life Community Church and the host of ministries that we have available. God bless you and thanks for being with us.